Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. That was it. What's just happened? It was over the that line. Definitely I can see it from here. This that is why we well should have bloody Hawkeye in the championship. It was over the line. <laughs> This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Welcome to We Are Going Up, a century on and still going strong. I'm pleased to report this is episode 101. I'm Mark Crossy. Carl McQueen is back this week. Hello there. Hello. And uh, David Cameron Walker. It was far more interesting in what is going on on the television behind me, uh, DC, because we're recording at the time when your team are in action. Yes, we are taking on Brighton down at the Amex. Uh, it is a delayed kickoff. Due to the due to the adverse weather conditions, it is. We've all made to eight o'clock. We've all made it in despite the weather. We're just about to start. It's been your birthday this weekend. It certainly has. Enjoyed it. Yes, and I, and I was down in Brighton of all places on Friday evening. You were. They moved the game. I, I originally <laughs> thought Watford were going to be there as well, but they but they weren't. Uh, but I had a lovely time. And you know what? Um, without without boring you too long about the story, something yeah, make it quick. Ridiculous happened to me on Saturday night. So I was out uh, in Angel in London, and I had to go home. I didn't have any money at the end of the night. I had no money to get the no money on my oyster, no cash in my wallet. So obviously I had to go to the cash point to find either money for my oyster or a cab home. Yep. So I thought, right, I'm going to get a cab. Um, went to the cash point and it wasn't working. Went to the next cash point, it wasn't working. Then there was a little cash point in a shop, wasn't working. <laughs> uh, so this is a bit weird, isn't it? Maybe it's something problem with this sort of road. Conspiracy. I, I yeah. So I'll get in a cab. I'll get them to take me to the next street along yep. or whatever, and we'll we'll stop and get the money. It'll be fine. After about 15 minutes of trying to convince the cab drivers of London to let me in without any money, um, quite understandably, none of them wanted to do it. One of them did take pity on me, drove me up to the top of the road near Highbury and Islington Station, uh, went to a few more cash points, none of them were working, then he got frustrated and drove off, leaving me stranded. So again, another sort of 20 minutes this time, trying to get desperately get into a cab to take me to where I needed to go. Uh, eventually, a black cab driver took pity on me, and we must have, from, from Highbury and Islington all the way to Stamford Hill, I must have tried about... 20 cash points right. of, of all banks of all kinds um, but eventually the cut, cab, to the, cut to the chase the cab driver took pity on me and sort of saw that I wasn't going to be able to give him any money wrote his, uh, his name and his address down on a piece of paper and said uh, you have to send me a cheque son <laughs> <laughs> and did we, is, was it anything to do with the clocks changing I, I'm not, I still haven't really been able to get okay. to the bottom of it really but it did seem to be happening after a quick look on Twitter it seemed to be happening, happening in a lot of places across the UK if you know anything more about that let us know about it on Twitter fill us in on all the details um this week you've downloaded an audiobook from Audible, haven't you, David I, Mitchell's I have. Book. I have, actually, my, my free audiobook. And you know it's what? Good job, it was free. You can pay for anything. <laughs> I, I really have been really enjoying it. It's yeah. nine and a half hours long of, of hearing David Mitchell talk about his life, which may not be to everyone's taste, but 
it ha- it's the first ever audio book I've ever listened to. Yeah. Uh, and this I- is me being genuine, regardless of the fact that we've got to plug it. <laughs> yeah. I-, I will definitely download more. I've got the uh, the iPartridge one today. If you want to take advantage of this offer, go to audible.co.uk slash going up. It's a free one-month trial. You get a free audio book. You need to go to audible.co.uk slash going up. You get to pick we from... We do an audio book. By the, by the length of this opening, probably, yes, <laughs> this might be one. 80,000 audio books for you to pick from. And then if you don't want to pay a monthly fee afterwards, you can cancel any time, etc. So go to audible.co.uk slash going up. Loads of football books on there. Later, if you entered our football manager competition last week, we'll be announcing the winners uh, of that later in the show. And we're going to be speaking to Notts County fan and sports journalist Paul Smith after the Magpies dropped to the bottom of League One. They lost 1-0 to Preston on Saturday. They responded by sacking Chris Kawamia. First, though, we're going to start with another managerial departure. The news broke about this uh, just as we started recording last week. Tony Mowbray leaving Middlesbrough, a club legend at the Riverside, uh, but he had to go after a run of just 24 points from 33 league games. Mark Venus, his assistant, long-term Borough fan, took charge against Doncaster on Friday and won 4-0. Easy lark, this management stuff. Let's speak to Anthony Vickers, sports writer for the Evening Gazette on Teesside and the author of the very popular Untypical Borough blog. Uh, We had him on the show last season and we're delighted to say that he's back on the line right now to talk to us about a very eventful week at the Riverside. Anthony, let's start with Mowbray first. You and your paper helped break the story about him losing his job. Uh, You wrote that it was sad but no surprise. Was that the sense among the fans too? that a change was needed as much as they love Tony Mowbray as a player? Uh, I think so, yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of like a bereavement in the family because I, I think uh, Tony Mowbray embodied uh, a certain aspect of the club, which is the escape from liquidation in, in 1986. He was an inspirational leader on the pitch. And for a lot of people before that, there'd been very low crowds. But uh, during this revival, crowds went up to about 20,000. So there's an entire generation that a really strong emotional bond with that team and he personifies that team and when he was away it was always understood that one day he'd come back and manage the club so you know him arriving was like a (laughs) Watford have just scored (laughs) Watford have just scored (laughs) him arriving back at the club was this kind of a destiny fulfilled so it was a it was fated almost and no one likes to interfere with stuff like that and he Ticks so many boxes, it's unbelievable. You know, he understands the DNA of the club. He's very passionate about the bond with with the supporters. He's uh, committed to playing a certain style of football, attacking football, passing football, entertaining football. And I think everyone really, really wanted it to work. But at the end of the day, it's a results-driven business. And uh, the the team went into uh, the the game of the weekend, having only won five games in, in 2013. And that stretches everyone's patience. And having spent money in the summer, I mean, there was, there was the understanding before was that there's a lot of leeway because he was working with other, other people's players and had no money. But having spent money in the summer, and it was his team, suddenly you run out of excuses and, and uh, there's no mitigation anymore. And it comes down to the harsh reality of results. Anthony, apologies for my uh, outburst during your, your very good answer there. But So what, why has it gone so badly wrong, particularly in this calendar year? As you say, only five victories and it just, you know, the results just weren't forthcoming at all. What, what went wrong for Tony Mowbray in the end? That's really, I think it's a cocktail of things, uh, depending on what your perspective. If you're hostile to, to uh, Tony Mowbray, you obviously point to the man. I think one of the problems was that perhaps they overachieved in the first half of the season. And they did it with uh, playing a certain brand of football with a lot of relatively inexperienced players. And, of course, when you're winning, everything's fantastic and you get the extra 10% out of people. And the injuries mounted up and a couple of defeats 
pile on top of each other. And it was an absolute abysmal January and February. And I think morale went. And I think a lot of the younger players never really had faced, the, the, uh, been in a situation where they you know, hadn't won a game in eight. And there was a lot of responsibility on those players. And I don't think a lot of them were mentally equipped to deal with it. And then a very glaring problem became obvious, which was there was no leaders on the pitch. Uh, and there was no one. There was no nasty, shouty, pointy, sweary guy to drive them in midfield and, and grab the game by the throat. And there was no real strong leadership at the back as well, which was quite a new, quite surprising because they had relatively experienced players, you know, the likes of Jonathan Woodgate and that. But there was no shouting, no pointing, no organising, and it became almost a habit that when the goal went in, heads went down. And by that point, the chopped and changed so much. I, I just don't think they could come up with the formula. Was, to be honest, I think, sorry, I, I think a couple of months from the end of the season, it was almost uh, an acceptance that the, the, it was drifting and it was a case of, well, let's just get this out of the way and start the rebuild in the summer. I was going to say, was the defeat at Barnsley with the, the, the reaction of the fans a couple of weeks ago, was that the final straw? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, that's the first time there's been any, any vocal opposition to Tony Mowbray. Uh, at home... We've drawn far, far too many games, and it's been very, very frustrating. But generally, they've played well in the games. You know, they've got ahead and then leaked stupid goals. But you could see in flashes that there was a decent team there, and there'd been a lot of booing at the end, and there'd been a lot of pointing at individual players. But no point in anyone ever turned on on uh, on Mowbray. So when it happened at Barnsley, with quite a big away following, there was over two thousand people there. Uh, it was very, very uh, audible. And it was very marked, and it was the first time it had happened. And if you know the configuration of Barnsley, the, the tunnel's very near the way end. Um, when they were trooping off at half time, there was a lot of discontent. And the chairman and all the upper echelons of the club were there to watch that and hear that. And I think that kind of, you, you can't put the genie back in the bottle and that sort of thing. Well, I read a thing, I read an interview with Steve Gibson where he said that, you know, he, he was booing as well, or he would have been. I think that was tongue in cheek. <laughs> I mean, I, I was sat behind him, and I, he certainly wasn't. But he was very, very stony faced. You know, uh, but it, it, it strikes. You know, it, it, he's striking a chord there. I mean, he's reacting like a fan. And sometimes you think, well, you don't want your chairman to react like a fan. You want you want him to be a hard headed businessman. But it's a you know a mark of Steve Gibson that you know uh, he's backed Tony Mowbray through some difficult times over the last couple of years, and he's not uh, by nature a knee jerker. But I think the results compounded with what looked like and the fans had uh, I think he's taking swift action I mean you're quite right to say that he does, he's not a knee-jerk chairman he's had managers in the job for, for several years at a time so how long do you think he'll take over the appointment of the next man to take over Riverside well, he made it clear to us that he, he was going to get the right man. That was the important thing. He wasn't going to rush into anything. Uh, he's smart, green as you know. You've got a couple of weeks to, a couple of weeks, a couple of games to make me think about something. Obviously, he'd be inundated with agents' phone calls and faxes and CVs. Uh, but he, he wants to get the right fit. And uh, the important thing there is getting someone that's comfortable with the style of play that we have now and who can take on the, the squad that we've got now. He gave us the definite impression that uh, if Mark Venus could get results and a 4 0 win in the debut is not bad, hmm. uh, if he can keep that going, then they're happy to put off the decision uh, until they get the right man. He said that he had a, some people in mind, but also he would wait and see who applied. 
And he also said, which is quite a revolutionary concept on Teesside, is that you wouldn't be adverse this time to looking abroad to a foreign manager. Which is interesting because I believe Carl was just looking at the odds before we went on air. And I saw Carranca, um, former Real Madrid, uh, Mourinho's assistant at Real Madrid, uh, former Real Madrid player, no less, is currently favourites with some of the, some of the bookies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, which would be a yeah. real uh, kind of left-field appointment for a club like Middlesbrough. I'm, I'm very wary of the bookies' odds. It's yeah. a very funny market. It's very easy to manipulate. It All it takes is one big bet somewhere and the, the computers start slashing the odds automatically. Then other people think there's a rabbit on and put a tenner on just in case. Uh, we've had uh, a whole series now of red-hot favourites. Tony Pulis was red-hot favourite. Mike Phelan was red-hot favourite. And these stories almost take on a momentum of their own. They, they, they drive the odds ridiculously. Karanka has been mentioned, but not in context of being a manager. Uh, the, the club are trying to set up several, like a network around Europe of people who are very well connected. And Peter Kenyon has a, a, a role at the club in putting together this network. And Karanka is, you know, it's more a case of his knowledge and contact in Spain. And we quite often have people appearing at the Riverside in that context. Uh, we've had Alan Boxick, for instance. Uh, and again, that was a similar sort of thing. They're trying to exploit his knowledge and contacts. If Alan Boxick had turned up this week, it's almost certain that he would be odds-on favourite tomorrow for the job. In terms of the game on Friday, for anyone who watched it on TV, um, they'll be wondering what all the problems have been about because it was a 4-0 victory against Doncaster. Brilliant goal from uh, Albert Dimer for the first one. I, I read online that a Middlesbrough, uh, from a Middlesbrough fan uh, saying that the team played with a handbrake off on Friday and he made six changes, didn't he, Mark Venus? What did you make of the performance and the way he changed it? Uh, yeah, I think there was a, uh, a definite uh, idea that the, the shackles had been taken off them and they were liberated almost. I, I think that was partly helped by a couple of the changes that, that Venus made. Uh, one of the problems we've had all season is that the fullbacks have been uh, weak. They've pushed forward a little bit too much because, because you know, the, the nature of the team is to attack. When they push forward, there's massive spaces open behind them which have been exploited. In putting two people who are naturally centre-backs there, I think he, he made it a lot more rigid and solid. Uh, for one thing, so that plugged the gaps. But that also gave more licence for the wingers to get forward. And it was not just a doma, but carry on, carry on on the other side were both fantastic. They've got speed, they've got the, the offer width and pace and a bit of trickery. And, you know, we were creating a lot of chances. To be fair, it has been like that all season. The last home match was a 4-1 win. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was a 3 all draw. You know, we scored two away at Forest, two away at Wigan. Scoring goals has never been the problem. The problem has always been keeping the ball out. And what's happened is that we've we've got a goal usually and had a lot of chances, not quite put them away, and then the opposition score because of weak marking, usually from a set piece. So I, I think the most interesting thing, although the goals look fantastic and then we all dance and celebrate, the most interesting thing, there was a clean sheet there. And although there was a little rocky spell, generally they looked rigid at the back. Uh, I think for a lot of Borough fans, we'll see that as a big step forward. I, I find it interesting when an assistant like Mark Venus, who's been so heavily associated with Tony Mowbray, all of a sudden you know gets the gets the reins to to take control of the team and makes changes and 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 seems to do things differently. So you know, I wonder was he suggesting these changes when he was still there, or has he sort of had to bite his tongue when you know? to go along with what Mowbray wanted. You know, you can make the comparison with the team that ended Mowbray's reign, Barnsley last season, when Keith Hill was sacked and 
David Flickcroft took over, a man who was associated very, uh, you know, in a very similar way that Venus and Mowbray have a partnership. And, you know, Flickcroft took the job and inspired them to safety. Do you think we could see the same sort of thing at Middlesbrough? Could Venus step out the shadow of Mowbray and, and take it forward? Possibly. I think it comes down to a personality thing as much as anything. I mean, Tony Mowbray is a very studious academic coach. You know, he's, he's a, a tactician. He, he thinks very much about his shape and what he wants his players to do. Uh, I think uh, Venus shares Tony Mowbray's general philosophy on how to set a team up and how to play. But I, I think his personality is a little bit more overt about making demands on the players. Uh, and I think basically he put a rocket under them and told them to get out there and do what they do best. And you know, with the best one in the world, Doncaster are not the strongest team in the division. How he will set out against a stronger team, we're yet to see. But I think basically what he's done is he, he's, uh, he's gone through them and then told them all to buck up. Uh, they've got to take some responsibility for what's happened to Mogger and get out there and make it right. And I think most Borough fans would notice that rather than the first 15 or 20 minutes very cagey shadow boxing, that Borough actually went for it right from the off. I mean, already Mark Venus has been able to stamp a bit of authority on the team, Anthony, it seems. He's not afraid to kind of mix things up as well. So he must have a very, very good shot of taking charge full time. I think it comes down to results, doesn't it? I mean, that's always the case. The general feeling around the club was that the team isn't that far away. It wasn't far away from clicking. Uh, the balance is just about right and, and we needed a central defender. Well, we've brought a central defender in now, so maybe that's one box ticked. If Venus is the man that can get them to click, even if it's just by shouting at them a bit and sending them out with a rocket at them, then maybe you know, we'll, we'll see exactly what it was that Tony Mowbray was feeling towards. And it comes down to results. I mean, if he wins the next three or four, he'd be a very brave chairman to change it. Anthony, I was going to ask you a question. Uh, not not seeing uh, you know Middlesbrough play obviously week in week out like you you do uh, you'd be able to tell me how how is the the Middlesbrough the famed Middlesbrough Academy getting on on these days? So obviously they've you know got a very proud history over the last sort of fifteen or, or so years of bringing through players that have gone on to play for the first team and, and you know gone on to bigger and better things in in some cases. Uh, is that still in you know, a very much the ethos at the club? Oh, very much. I mean, the, the chairman went out of his way to, to finance the club to be a Category One academy, when uh, at a time given given the prudence elsewhere in the club and you know lack of lack of money for transfers for Tony Mowbray, it would have been a very easy saving to make and say, oh, we're not going to push for this. But actually, he's went out of his way to, to be a Category One academy, so we're on a level with with the Premier League. Uh, the benefits there are obviously more contact time, uh, more uh, ability to recruit players. And more ability to stop other teams that luring away your best people. There's been a bit of a downturn in the last couple of years in terms of actually producing things because it's not like a factory. You can't just churn them out on a regular basis. A lot of it comes down to luck. And we had a very good group 10 years ago and another good group about five years ago. The last two years have been quiet, but the coaches are very, very positive about two or three of the lads who are now 18. Uh, we've got a couple in the England under-18 squad, a couple in the under-17s. Uh, the next batch seemed to be very, very promising. Bryn Morris was a target for Manchester United in the summer, and it was only the fact that we're over a Category 1 academy that, that stopped them luring him away. Uh, but the, the club have very high hopes for him. Just before uh, you go, Anthony, another question on Tony Mowbray. I know his name was uh, sung, wasn't it, around the Riverside by the, the fans yeah. on Friday night. They've obviously got, still got huge affection for him. Um, if you were to sum up the sort of Mowbray era, uh, when you look back at the time he's been manager over the last couple of years, what is his legacy? Here, 
Mm. Uh, hopefully, his legacy will be uh, that we see in three or four months' time that the team that he put together in the summer is actually going to deliver. I would hope that would be the legacy. Uh, certainly the long-term legacy will be that he was the man that sorted out the financial mess and worked miracles, really, to get through two years when uh, I think his transfer but his transfer spending was a, a minus £9 million over the first two years. Cut wages, balanced the books, put the club on a, an even keel, rebuilt the infrastructure behind the scenes. And these are all things you don't see on a match day. You know, Fans don't go to cheer good housekeeping and, and <laughs> uh, budgetary uh, discipline. But at the end of the day, that's what get, puts teams out on the pitch, is your ability to balance the books. And what he's done over the last the first two years he was here, I, I think will have a significant impact on the way Borough pan out over the next couple of years. Brilliant. Thanks for coming on and speaking to us about it, Anthony. Good to talk to you as no ever. Problem, mate. That is uh, Anthony Vickers, a sports writer for the Evening Gazette on Teesside, the author of the uh, a very popular Untypical Borough blog. You can read that anthonyvickers.boroughblogs.co.uk. Next, we're going to be talking about another managerial change, this time at Meadow Lane. So, quick score update. DC we're winning we're winning 1-0 1-0 who got that goal yeah, I just glanced Sean up and Murray saw it in the third minute of the game a uh, great shot from distance took a slight deflection went inside the near post uh, we're playing quite well I mind your attempt to kind of be professional about it but it <laughs> kind of went out the window didn't it yeah. um, so if you had uh, DC squeal again in just a second it might be a second goal let's move into League One then uh, as I mentioned Ottomedo Lane 1-0 defeat at home to Preston on Saturday's left Notts County two points adrift at the bottom of the division they're already five points off safety and those statistics have uh, in the end done for the manager Chris Kawamia who's been sacked after just eight months in charge um, meaning by my calculations they're on the lookout for their seventh permanent manager in just four years to find out more about what on earth is going on, let's speak to Notts County fan and sports journalist Paul Smith, who's written for the Football League paper and the Grimsby Telegraph, amongst others. Paul, thank you very much for uh, coming on the show. Let's start with uh, Chris Kawamia's departure. Had this sacking been a long time coming or should he been uh, given a bit more time? What do you reckon? Definitely a long time coming, yeah. I mean, we go back actually to when the appointment was made, really. He came in after Keith Kerr was, to some extent, harshly sacked um, in February of this year. Um, and he came in in a caretaker capacity, and there wasn't an upturning results immediately, and it was quite a surprise, actually, when he was then given the job on a permanent basis, initially to the end of last season, and then uh, before the end of last season, it was then confirmed that he'd carry on into this season, but he's not once really given the fans any indication that he was ever going to be a, a good manager, and towards the end of last season we had a couple of decent results right at the very end but we sort of stumbled over the finishing line to a mediocre mid-table finish and then the start of the season well we've just won the two games in the league and we've lost we've not even been able to sort of eke out any draws it's been a losing sequence and the players just don't, don't look like they've really played for him all along and I think the writing's been on the wall for probably two or three well probably five or six weeks now and, and a lot of fans wanted him out quite a while ago and, and the inevitable sort of happened on, on Saturday. Paul, I've just listened to uh, an interview that the Chief Executive of Notts County, Jim Rodwell, gave to the media uh, in the wake of the decision to sack Kiwamia. And, you know, he said that 
himself and the rest of the board of directors are taking their share of the blame for appointing Kwame and for, for the poor start to this season. And he, he just offered up a series of very hollow sort of platitudes, really, is to say, oh, yeah, we haven't really appointed the right manager over the last three or four goes. Uh, we've been doing a lot of soul searching, um, which for me is more worrying. You know, the most worrying thing, if I was a Notts County fan, is you've got a man who's admitting that he's no good at appointing a manager, saying that I'm going to have to go and try and appoint another one. Absolutely right, yeah. I think um, with regards to the chief executives, um, again, he, not a lot of fans um, have too much time for him. Uh, if you go back over the club's appointments since the current regime came in, which is Jim Rodwell and as chief executive and, and the owner Ray True, uh, it goes back to the 09-10 season. Um, they came in in February and, and to be fair, given their due, they, they saved the club after the disaster of, of Monto Finance coming in and spending money that we didn't have and Sven and Ericsson and Sol Campbell and all the rest of it. And they made an appointment then of Steve Cottrell, who came in and was absolutely outstanding for us and, and took us up, won us the league. Um, I think he only lost one game out of about 15. It was exceptional. But once he left in that summer, since then, every appointment that they've made um, hasn't worked out well, or has started to look like it might I've work got, out. I've got a, likes of I've got a list of them here. Should we go through them all then? Uh, yeah. So uh, after, yeah. after Steve Cottrell, by the way, he lost one in 18 games, 77% win rate. 18, that's right. Yeah. That's outstanding. Um, Craig Short lasted from June 2010 to October 2010. Paul Ince from October 2010 to April 2011. Uh, then you've got Martin Allen from April 2011 to February 2012. Keith Curl from February 2012 to February 2013. And then Chris Kawamia from February this year to, uh, to now. So uh, whoever the next manager is, he's probably not going to be there for too long. Exactly, and, and um, the fans crave stability, and, and you know it's a word that's used a lot. And obviously, people, you know, teams like Chelsea have shown that it's not always the way. I mean, they've they've not had stability, and they've they've managed to win trophies. But I think they've had some very good players and hundreds of millions of pounds in the bank. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. and I think you know clubs, you know, teams at our level, stability is, is certainly more important because you need to get the foundations in place in terms of bringing in young players because the money isn't there and that kind of thing. And uh, not many managers being given a chance. The trouble is, Kawamia, I think, was the one that they've sort of realised we do need to give a manager a chance, but he was just the wrong guy to give it to. And, and you know, if you look at the previous uh, appointments, Keith Curl, uh, and to an extent, something like Martin Allen, although we believe it might have been sort of off the pitch things that, that got him sat, they were sort of on the right track. They had a couple of bad results, but they got their contracts terminated quite early, whereas with regards to Kawamia, they seemed to be wanting to give him a chance, but he actually deserved to go, which was. <laughs> which was bizarre, really, because you know offers didn't deserve to go, and, and they sort well, of. Well, Martin Allen's about a job at the moment, so yeah, he might come back. And Steve Cottrell was one of the heavily linked favourites. But you look at Keith Curl as well. When when he was kicked out of the door, I think you guys were tenth. So yeah. it, it does strike me that the chairman, the chief executive, don't really know what they want from it. They're kind of punching above their weight. They've got ideas above their station and what they think the club can achieve. And then when it comes to trying to appoint a manager, they know they can't lure necessarily big names, quote-unquote. So they went with Chris Kwame, but they would have just been better off keeping Keith Curl in the first place to avoid what's well, happened in the past able, six they're months. They're not going to be able to get a top manager in League Two, are they? So. You know, I mean, it's very worrying that their record is very worrying. You just don't know who they are going to the point next. And, you know, this is probably their most crucial appointment, I'd suggest. The next one is, has got to be right, because like you said, we're heading back to League Two unless they get it right. I think Martin Allen... He's good for a crisis, but he's not the man for us at the moment. And like I said, I think something happened off the pitch that would, would mean that he wouldn't come back anyway. Um, but the next appointment is key. It's absolutely crucial. I'm just looking at your squad. You've got the likes of uh, uh, Enoch Shawamni in there, Yoan Arquin. Uh, you've got Alan Sheehan. You've got, you've got some good players in there. Whoever gets the job, have they, have they got the quality to work with or am I massively overrating 
uh, this squad? Um, I wouldn't say massively. I mean, they are some good players, and I do think, and it's quite hard saying this because, like we, like I said, we've only won twice in the league. We are rock bottom and, and five adrift already of the of safety. But there are some performances this season that we we haven't got the results that we uh, that we deserve. Even on Saturday, I mean, the press and players and, and, and fans have said it themselves it was probably a, a draw would have been fair and I mean they're fourth in the table we went to Gillingham midweek and we were by far the better team but lost 2-1 we're lacking sort of a strike force but th- there are a cluster of players there but there seems to be a sense that the players haven't quite played for the manager a little bit I think they've let him down and and while the manager has you know got us got to take a lot of the blame because he brought half of the players in in fact more than half of the players in I do think it's quite easy always to castigate a manager when it's the players themselves who aren't um, really performing and a lot of those players have got a lot to answer, a lot to answer for because there are experienced players in there and there are good players in there who will probably get into a lot of the teams near the top of the table the likes of Dean Leacock at centre-half who's an excellent player at this level Alan Sheehan Danny Haynes who we brought in on, on big money in the summer scored goals in the Championship last season He's just not got going at all. So there are some good players, and, and Bart Miokowski in goals, he's arguably the best goalkeeper in the division. So, you know, the, the players have got to take a lot, long, hard look at themselves as well. Given the, the state of the club, the fans would probably have been expecting Chris Kouamia's sacking for several weeks now, and therefore have been kind of mulling over who they would want to replace Kouamia. Danny Wilson currently stands as favourite, as odds on, but outside of that, there isn't a great deal of choice. I think Brian Kerr currently stands at second favourite, a man who lost, spent his managerial career in the Faroe Islands after he <laughs> left the Republic that, yeah. of Ireland, of course. So what do you reckon the fans kind of want? Who do they want and what they kind of are hoping for in terms of a manager, in terms of names? Yeah, well, speaking to a few fans, speaking to my, my family, and not fans, well, my brother and my dad, we're sort of lacking inspiration as to, as to who we'd get in. I mean, I don't, you always get the sort of usual suspects. Uh, who are out of jobs who are constantly linked but none of them are particularly inspiring because there's a reason, there's a reason they're sort of out of jobs um, a few of the fans on, on Twitter and on message boards are suggesting going for a sort of coach that's proven themselves elsewhere in, you know, such as League 2 like a few names like Gary Rowett at Burton who's done a decent job Paul Cox who's an ex-Nots County player at Mansfield who got them promoted Steve Burr at Kidderminster who's doing well and they seem to be sort of the names that a few of the fans seem to want. Um, myself, I'd quite like Steve Cottrell to come back because of that excellent record that he had before. But then again, he's not done too great since he left he left the club. So it's difficult. And I think there's a lack of really inspiring names to come in. So I don't, I don't envy the, the chairman. I was, exactly. I was just about to say that because in this situation, I mean, it is their own fault for appointing the wrong manager. But yeah. in this situation, if they go for a, an un sort of known name or a manager that's doing really well in the conference or whatever and uh, you know, that can generate excitement or we've gone for someone a bit different but if it goes wrong and everyone will be going why the hell didn't we get an experienced manager in? Exactly and and I think it's crying out for a little bit of experience personally I think it's crying out for somebody who who knows this level but you know it's, it's hard it's hard to find and Danny Wilson like say is the is the favourite I mean he's done okay at this level so I think he got Swindon in the playoffs he got Sheffield United in the playoffs but ultimately he always ended up getting really soon after and, and not getting them up so I don't know if he's, he's quite a mighty man either so it's, it's difficult and I'm scratching my head around to think of 
who would come in and, and do a good job, but hopefully there is somebody out there. It's, it's all well and good appointing somebody with experience, but all too often clubs like Notts County appoint people with experience of being average or, or worse. Um, so you've got to have yeah. someone who's actually experienced of being, of being good, and which is why I think they'd be much better placed, uh, even though it hasn't managed at this level before, going for someone like Paul Cox, you know, just down the road at Mansfield, who's done a good job, and somebody with yeah. you know optimism, someone who's got perhaps a bit more enthusiasm about them and is on the rise, rather than someone that's just sort of been milling around at different sort of clubs and not really pulling up many trees. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think Paul Cox has, has clearly done a decent job at Mansfield, although I suggested his name uh, just in passing, not as a, as a favourite for me who, who wanted him, but a few of the uh, uh, other fans who, obviously, because we know Mansfield quite well, being a local club, apparently, you know, he had quite a bit of money uh, at Mansfield, the, the biggest budget in the, in the in the conference to get them up. And he seems to make quite a lot of signings and perhaps doesn't play the, the greatest football. Not necessarily saying that we need to play good football because we are quite playing good football at the moment and not winning hmm. but uh, there's reservations with Paul Cox as well so it's, it's very very difficult at the moment to know who's the best man a, a few people have fancifully suggested Neil Warnock because he was a past manager of ours in the early 90s he's a past manager of everyone <laughs> that's true yeah and, and that's sort of a romantic upon but I don't think that would ever happen I think he's, he's well retired now so I think that's a long shot, and he'd, he'd probably want a bit too much money as until well. he ends up at Palace this week. I was going to say, I, I, I'd be very, uh, you know, Neil Warnock. I can assure you would come back into football for the right club, but I'd be astonished if that right club would be Notts County. I think you're right there. Um, can yeah, I just I can I just say uh, sort of one final question uh, before you go, Paul? A lot of people, the only time they will have seen Notts County this season was when you played away at Liverpool in the Capital One Cup on the TV. Or, and be... or, or indeed in the, the first very first game of That's the true. League season this year on the Friday night. That's true, against Sheffield United. But for the people who saw the Liverpool game, they might sort of be struggling to uh, think you're talking about the same side they watched put up such a, a spirited performance. Was that just a complete one-off? Yeah. It wasn't a complete one-off. Um, in fact, we've been on TV three times already this season, which is a, is a rarity. In all three occasions, we've actually done a decent account of ourselves at Sheffield United on the opening day. Um, we had a man sent off, which wasn't helpful, but we was on for the Johnson's Paint Trophy at Wolves a couple of weeks ago, and we won on penalties, but we were excellent over the 90 minutes, and they're a side sitting in second, big side like that, and we absolutely dominated them. So there has been some good performances. I mean, the Liverpool's obviously stand out, taking them to extra time, scoring a couple of goals. But there have been some good performances. There are some good players there. Can we get the right manager to knit it together and get us out of trouble? That's the question. OK, we'll have to wait and see. Cheers for coming on, Paul. We appreciate that. Uh, we'll watch the space closely for the next appointment. That's Paul Smith, sports journalist, big Notts County fan who's written for the Football League paper and the Grimsby Telegraph, amongst others. Uh, right now, it's time for the latest in our My Club series. Remember, we're giving fans of all Football League sides 125 seconds to tell us about their club, all to celebrate the 125 fifth anniversary of the Football League. This is We Are Going Up, my club in 125 seconds. My name is Jared Lawera and my team is Queen's Park Rangers. Okay, Jared, so your first QPR game, the first time you ever went to Loftus Road, can you remember what it was? Actually, I can't. I can't remember. I was three <laughs> years old and I have no recollection of my first game whatsoever. I think three years is a record so far. I think, for I youngest think it person. is. What about your favourite ever player, though, Jared, to ever uh, grace Loftus Road? Probably... Adele Tarrap, um the season that we went up three years ago, he was unplayable at times. Tell us about the last day of the season in the Premier League a couple of years ago. How nervous were you in the last couple of minutes when uh, Manchester City scored twice? It was probably the most memorable QPR game that I've ever been to, even though we ended up losing 2-1 up with two minutes left. We thought there's no way that we can lose, lose this game now. And um, there was about a minute, I think, between them scoring their first goal and the Bolton result 
coming through. So that minute or so was probably the worst, the worst feeling I've, I've had as a QPR fan. Uh, who was the worst manager of the ill-fated reign of Flavio Briatore uh, as, as chairman? <laughs> Tough question, because there were so many of them. Plenty um, to pick from. <laughs> probably Paul Hart, even though he was only there for three or four games, I think. There was one game against Barnsley where we ended up at full time with eight eight defenders on the pitch and <laughs> we were hanging on for dear life against Barnsley at home. So I think most QPR fans would say him. And I'm finally... Are you going to get promoted to the Premier League this season? Um, if you'd asked me before Saturday, probably would have said <laughs> yes. However, I thought... Doubt has arrived. Saturday, <laughs> yeah, the performance Saturday, there was a few concerns for me, I think. I think a couple of players just looked disinterested. And um, it'll be interesting to see how they react on Wednesday. If they can get a positive result then, then I think it'll be all right. But if, if a rut sets in, then... I'm not sure how that squad is going to react to it. You'll be all right. Ari will sort you out. Don't worry. (laughs) Gerard, your two minutes is up. Thank you very much. Thank you. My club in 125 seconds. We are going up. We've got the Football League covered. So we'll have another one of those next week. Now, I'm going to let you uh, sort of uh, in behind the scenes, as it were. We've just taken a little break because we were uh, arranging how we were going to do the draw for this uh, football manager competition. And all hell has broken loose in the Brighton-Watford game as it is right now. As it still is, the ball's flying around. Get in the goal! (laughs) Anyway, so you will have heard this at the top of the show, but here's here's what's just happened a couple of minutes ago as Watford have gone forward and, and thought they should have a second goal. That was over the line. What's just happened? It was over the line. I can see it from here. This is why we should have the bloody Hawkeye in the championship. It was over the line. It was definitely over. Of course he was clearly over the line. Replay. The referee was yards away. Replay. What was the linesman was hardly obstructed? Should have kept it out, that defender. Gordon Grace really keep it it's, up. A it's a goal well over. over. It's a goal <laughs> over. It's a goal. And then inevitably, down the other end, Andrew Crofts. So as we begin our weekend review, it's one all. Terrible, terrible corner. It's <laughs> an awful Come corner. on, mind on the job. Mind on the job. Let's start at the top of the uh, the championship Bruno this week. Bruno really annoying me. Was, I think it's just you and me, I think it is. I'm just yeah. going to fade him down. Uh, Burnley 2, Queen's Park Rangers nil, as we were just talking about with Jawad there. Seven wins in a row for Burnley. QPR's unbeaten run ended and the interchange in the link-up between Sam Vokes and Danny Ings for that first goal was absolutely phenomenal, wasn't it? Superb goal. And uh, Burnley, uh, the juggernaut continues. Seven in a row. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, Absolutely amazing. And as you say, I mean, everything that we talked about and praised them for last week, it very much carried on. And and, QPR were looking in ominous form, weren't they, until that two-all draw with with Millwall. But now it's it's Burnley, who who are very much the team to beat in the championship. And it is, you know, against all real, you know, Convention. Conceived wisdom, yeah, yeah. and, and they're, they're doing really well. well. Here's here's Jerry Barton's tweet from the weekend. Congratulations to Burnley. Thoroughly deserved all three points today. Nowhere near good enough from us. What's important now is the reaction to the defeat. It makes Wednesday night's game in hand at Wigan vital. That's, that's he got, very, he's very got, sensible from Jerry Barton, but yeah, it seems he got hit around the head by a Coke bottle. Exactly, and, uh, yeah, hit with a bottle of Coke. He did. Just, I don't think QPR have much to worry about. Jawad there was a little bit worried now, but their season will derail after no. a couple of 
dodgy performances. The quality of that squad, that's not going to happen. If they, if they don't get promotion, having seen the start they've had, then that will be a I did, um, itself. I did quite like this tweet we got from uh, Jim, the Millwall fan in Australia. So since I started listening to We Are Going Up and uh, put QPR defenders in my fancy team, they've conceded four goals. Yeah, you won't be the only one. I, I'll Hashtag kiss of death. I've, I've done that. I've put two extra ones in. In uh, recent weeks, oh, well. did, you, did you hear this story from uh, Saturday? The only uh, bad news for Burnley was that their mascot was sent off. Apparently, I've heard a manager's being sent to the stands. The mascot was sent what to did, the stands. What stand. did he do? Uh, he uh, sort of indicated that the linesman needed oh, a new pair no, of glasses. So close. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> mind on the mind Sorry. on the show. Um, he indicated that the linesman needed a new pair of glasses. Apparently, right. and the referee gave him his marching orders. So I hope that clips on YouTube. Uh, elsewhere, the top of the championship: Leicester City two, Bournemouth one. Leicester six home wins in a row, and they're up to second. They go ahead of QPR with that two-one win at the weekend. Uh, David Nugent and Jamie Vardy with the goal so the Ryan Olsop the Bournemouth goalkeeper he needed to do what Joe Hart did actually because he was he should easily have got to that <laughs> to that ball uh, but Leicester's home form is really sort of uh, keeping them right up there yeah Jamie Vardy keeps improving and that was another cool. another good goal Jim was waxing lyrical mm-hmm. about him last time same amount of goals as he had last season I mean, he had a few injuries last Nugent year. scores it wasn't a penalty was it no, no it Nugent scores on not from, not from the spot you've seen it though haven't you no <laughs> <laughs> your birthday weekend means I've been focusing on the lower ends I've been watching League 2 and League 1 I'm not quite up with all the championships okay we'll, we'll let you off. Um, I can tell you this in terms of the championship there's only one team in that division and one team out of all 92 in England now, professional teams after uh, uh, Sunderland's win on Sunday that have not won a match in the league this season and that team is Sheffield Wednesday who drew one all again uh, for like, I don't know, the seventh time or something stupid this season. One all at Barnsley at the weekend, a result which neither team uh, really favoured either team, but a couple of uh, very special goals in there. Yeah, very much. It's some excellent volleys. Uh, Matt Fry in particular uh, was an excellent goal. Dave Jones did what Dave Jones does best and blames the referee. Well, uh, but he, he did, did have, have a point. He did have a point. Because that was a, a blatant handball as well. Although, I mean, the way the season is now ticking along and managerial departures are starting to come in thick and fast. One would assume Dave Jones may not be in his hot seat next week but then I wouldn't necessarily blame Dave Jones I I think the problem lies at the the door of uh, Roger Johnson who has been relegated for the last three seasons (laughs) of course with Birmingham City and then two seasons consecutively with, with Wolves and he's on loan like Sheffield Wednesday well, I'll tell you what, so maybe they just got rid of him then uh, things would start to turn around looking at yeah. the next seven games Reading, Derby they're both doing quite well Huddersfield are up in ninth now Blackpool have been doing brilliantly Leicester who's in second Forest have been doing well and then Watford so uh, he might be gone by the end of that stretch of right. results yeah. you'd think OK elsewhere uh, in the uh, in the Football League uh, League One Leighton Orient's unbeaten run uh, DC ended by Coventry in, in midweek. Coventry, who are absolutely flying, aren't they? Another win against Walsall on Saturday. Yeah, a lot of it's been said about the whole ten-point deduction thing as well. But let's just remember they've only got fourteen senior players, Coventry. So the work that Stephen Presley's done is quite incredible. Although Leighton Orient, they, they did have um, Kevin Lisby missing, I believe. They did. And he got the winner. In, I mean, that pairing up front for Leighton Orient. We, we just spoken a moment ago about pairing up front for Burnley, of course, in Sam Vokes and Danny Ings as well. But it just proves that. You know, if you have a decent pairing up front, they're going to be, you know, a, a who would have thought? To be reckoned with? Who would have thought? Um, yeah. Peter, Peterborough did lose. Sorry, go on. Yeah, oh, uh, Callum Wilson was uh, doing one of those uh, Twitter Q and A's today oh, yeah. uh, on at, at SkybetFL uh, hashtag Ask Callum. Uh, I'm just trying to pick out some of the uh, good hashtag. Some of the. There we go. Right. Okay. So Scott Weymouth asked Ask Callum, "What's the best bit of advice you've been given, and who was it from?" And Callum responded, Clive Platt advised me to read a book called Bounce 
by Matthew Syed. I've read it. It's very good. It helped my mentality after my injury problems. Nice. Which is uh, which is interesting. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Snog, marry, avoid on Carl Baker, Stephen Presley and Stern John. <laughs> <laughs> Callum has bottled it and has said avoid all. If you had to do it, what should you do? What are the options again? Right, so Carl Baker. I don't know what he looks like. Stephen Presley. Right, okay. Stern John. Um, I would avoid Stephen Presley. Rough Scottish man, you know. Marry... Uh, Stern John what was the other one Carl Baker Snogging Carl Baker yeah. I don't know about you Dave Good. but Mark thought long and hard about that as well <laughs> you got to put thought into these things Carl uh, avoid 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 I think that's the easier answer DC um, I'd, I'd, he's thinking about it yeah, as well yeah. I quite like the thought of marrying Stern John yeah I think the so the other two I don't know toss a coin Okay, right. <laughs> Shall we move Happy on? To have either of them. Can we move on, please? <laughs> Sheffield United have appointed Nigel Clough as their new manager, and uh, they won three-one against Crew, who are in twenty-second. By the way, they're having a very difficult second season in League One. Uh, but yeah, uh, Nigel Clough appointed as uh, the new manager, as we thought, and uh, I think pretty much everyone said it, but a very good appointment. And he's under no illusions of the task that he mentions uh, that he's, he's got a squad full of young players, and it's going to now be a season of transition. But I think their next three league games are all against teams in the bottom half. So, given they've already picked up one victory, if they do pick up a couple, you know, that's not a guarantee, but if they do, then all of a sudden they'll have bounced into the mid-table and who knows where their season could go from there. Down the other end of the table, DC, Bristol City have finally won a game and they won 4-2 at Carlisle. Didn't realise, by the way, Pascal Chimbonda plays for Carlisle now. He certainly does. Yeah. Was wearing gloves as well, standard. And, um, yeah, but uh, the, obviously a massive win for Sean O'Driscoll, uh, Sean O'Driscoll because there were 21 wins, uh, 21 games without a win and then there was that incident wasn't there after the 2-1 home defeat to oh, Brentford in midweek with the, uh, yeah, the radio, is it the Radio so Bristol? Radio, or certainly it was BBC local, Radio Bristol yeah, um, reporter, reporter and he'd spent about six or seven minutes talking to Sean O'Driscoll and Sean O'Driscoll does like to go on if you've ever seen any of his post-match interviews and he went into some great depth and detail as to what was going on and to what he was going to do to put it right and then and the fateful and one more from me question <laughs> came uh, have you got the strength for this job to which O'Driscoll looked at him incredulously, incredulously and said stupid question and awkward then, silence the, the, immediately the, after the, that the, the presenter floundered he floundered and <laughs> tried to re-ask the question in more you know, feeble terms and O'Driscoll I, I thought he was going to hit him like just like waving his hands around <laughs> he, he was disgusted see if that had happened on this show we would have just edited it out it was brilliant That's it the really prob- was priceless that is the problem of uh, doing a live interview, uh, interview but I mean he was very close wasn't he to, to, to getting sacked there so that's a, mm. a massive win a hat-trick as well for uh, Jay Emmanuel Thomas your drinking yeah, buddy and it, <laughs> indeed but it was interesting seeing the comments uh um, of uh, of John Pemberton, assistant manager, um, saying that you know, he's a maverick and, and he's a player that we know can do these sort of things, and they are quite willing to tolerate the fact <clears> that he may not work hard enough for the team, he may not be good at all of the nitty gritty aspects of the game, but they want him in the team because they know he can do that. Right, Port Vale then two one victory against Gillingham in League One this weekend. However, their Port Vale reporter Michael Bagley was not sat in the press box; he was sat in the stands because he's been, uh, or rather, the paper have been banned. I think it's the Sentinel, is it? Sentinel, yeah. Um, for asking a, a few questions in the last couple of weeks, and this is a, a paper which campaigned heavily. I know in the last couple of years when there was a lot of trouble there. And uh, they've sort of claimed in an article today the banned paper that helps save Port Vale have been, uh, yeah, well, they're not allowed in. Um, this is all sto- a story about the number of uh, supporters who paid for a shirt which they've not had delivered. So it seems really petty when you say it like that. Yeah. But a similar thing has happened at Newcastle as well, hasn't it, this weekend up there? What do you make of uh, football clubs banning local newspapers? I just think it's, it's a bit petty, a bit counterproductive. 
all right, mate, the, the, the days where clubs needed local newspapers more than the other way around are long gone. Like, you know, the local newspapers do need the clubs and the clubs have got, you know, sophisticated media setups themselves. They don't necessarily need the local paper in the same way anymore. But I just think it's a shame because the local media is there to serve the local you know, population of each area in a different way than, than will get covered by the nationals. Certainly, you know, in Newcastle, maybe it's a different story. But, you know, certainly when you get down to Port mm. Vale, you know, it, 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 they play a role there and they shouldn't be neglected. And I just well, think it's, it's stupid. It's petty. And I don't see the point. The chairman who's got a ridiculous name, by the way, Mr. Norman Smurfwaite, uh, who said that the paper needs to uh, spend... £10,000 a year for the privilege of providing readers coverage of Port Vale and uh, they've sort of said well we, we don't pay for it we never paid for it before and we're providing his business with free publicity six days of the week every week mm. and uh, we don't know of any local newspaper in the country that has to pay hey. for this kind of access yeah. um, have you got on his Twitter so if you, but if you're charging so is he charging every single paper so I, when, when the nationals sure. come along does he charge them well if you go on his Twitter it's ridiculous because he, he doesn't seem to have uh, discovered how to get, sort of turn off the caps lock button <laughs> on his on his key keypad so every single tweet he sends to fans about this is in capital letters and it looks like is shouting it's well worth a, a look if you're on Twitter uh, right uh, League 2 let's I'm just, ra- uh, sorry I'm just reading through this actually and the Sentinel aren't going to back down on it either they've come across so I suspect this could be something that runs for weeks and well, maybe oh, shoot there why is he shooting there <laughs> it, yeah we, we need to wrap this up soon don't we um, the, uh, maybe we should try and get the paper um, the journalist on next week yeah, perhaps and, we'll get uh, him on we'll, 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 uh, we'll look into that this week we won't charge you 10 grand either <laughs> oh, yeah even though you're not going to be here because you're going off to a football manager quiz okay. anyway um Speaking uh, of which, well, we're not we're not there quite yet. Okay, Accrington Stanley <laughs> have won uh, uh, the two go- uh, two games this week. Uh, yeah, which just kind of makes a mockery of what we were saying. Bristol Rovers in midweek, and then they uh, they won uh, away. But it at shows what you can do if you win two games, even uh, no matter how unlikely it seems. Um, if you win two matches in a, in a league such as League Two, or you know, all of a sudden beliefs there, and they they're so tight right exactly in that league as well, stupid isn't it? really to write anyone off between first and thirteenth for six points. I know it's still early days, but well, it's incredible. Tight. Those wins, that, those two wins for Accrington have really made it tight down the bottom as well because there's only, what, six points between the bottom eight teams, I think, mm. if my maths is right. One of which, Barry, won a game at the weekend. And you were there. So I you were was. the good luck charm. Maybe I you was. should give up your job on the Saturday and you <laughs> yeah. you're there every week. Um, 2-1 win at Wickham and at half-time, I must be honest, I did think we were going to lose about 3-0 because uh, it wasn't pretty in the first half. Wickham looked very dangerous when they went forward. Uh, well, but yeah, I don't really know what happened to Wickham in the second half. They uh, they, they stopped playing. They allowed us to get on top. Danny Mayer, who we've got on loan, um, I think he's been alone at a few clubs Chef Wednesday, from Chef Wednesday uh, on the left wing had that full back on toast uh, Wickham did go down to 10 men but we were already on top by that stage and there's nothing quite like a last minute winner headed no, in from a corner there isn't players right in front of me uh, absolutely brilliant and what was your trip to Adams Park like Mark is that the first time you'd been yeah it was yeah it's you enjoy uh, the experience it's nowhere near the uh, the train station because I, I got in at 10 to 3 so I had to get a taxi to the ground it's like 50 minute walk away but it's a very uh, picturesque little area there's trees all around it um, yeah I'd, I'd recommend you, you make a trip <laughs> Uh, sometime soon right go on are we getting... I don't plan on getting relegated this season <laughs> no. are we getting on with this uh, competition then let yes. me, uh, let, me uh, let me find some dramatic music uh, right okay let's try this then okay so to win how many copies we've got to give away Three. Three copies of Football Manager 2014. Uh, so uh, thanks to everyone who entered this week on the email. First of all, uh, DC, the question was, remind it was, us. was uh, back in the 06-07 season, Chris Powell, now manager of Charlton, was playing for Watford in the Premier League. In the first game away from home against Everton, he was involved in a controversial incident. What was it? Okay. 
And what was it? What's the answer? It was uh, towards the end of the game with the scores. Um, well, I think it was 1-0 at the time to Everton. Uh, he slid in to try and block a cross from Tim Cahill. And it hit him full on in the face. The referee gave a penalty to Everton, thus setting the tone for Watford's season. Everton went 2-0 up uh, and won the game. Okie dokie. So we've uh, got all the entries. Now, we would have put them in a hat, but we haven't got a hat. Would you like to sort of shake to the microphone what you have got here? Well, I've, got my, uh, I've got my bag that I have my pre-pod burrito in. You have. Yes. Okay, so uh, would you like to draw three names out of the hat? Or Carl, do you want to draw them out? Yeah, I'll draw one, Carl, yeah. you go, you well, go around and, and help with the... Uh... We'll draw one each, shall okay. we? Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll go first. Okay. I have I have a name. And it is... It is... Name number one. Mark Birkwood. Mark Birkwood, you've won a copy of Football Manager 2014. And I need a... I need another bong, donor. Here we go. Okay, I've got a name. We've got a name for the second. Do you need another bong? <laughs> Clip that. Uh, winner number two is James Tennyson. There you go. Congratulations. And uh, have we got, was it two or three copies? Three. Three, sorry. We'll go. So I've given you the bag. Sorry, my turn. Let's Watford go forward. Oh, <laughs> nice music. It's run out. Oh, it's run out. <laughs> okay, it's the slick. And again. And the final winner is tension for no unnecessary reason there the final winner is Mr James Graham I think you could tell I was reaching for that button couldn't you <laughs> uh, so well done to everyone who's won a copy of uh, Football Manager 2014 we will be in touch to let you know well, thanks to everyone who took part you get it. it's, amazing. For it's amazing when you give something free away how many people actually get in touch that is yeah. very true <laughs> uh, you can uh, find us on SoundCloud if you uh, want to listen on there soundcloud.com slash podcast you can subscribe to us on iTunes as well the website if you want to read the blogs wearegoingup.co.uk is where you go and a reminder that if you go to audible.co.uk slash going up you can take advantage of our uh, special offer on there where you get a free audio book and a free one month trial what is the score David Cameron Walker it is Brighton 1 Watford 1 at the time we record this bit across just gone in there's 10 minutes to go we're going to leave the mics we need to make some substitutions here Anya's on the bench you'd liven things up a little bit Uh, Fabrini I'm going to fade him him. we're going to leave the microphones rolling so if something does happen in the last 10 minutes you will hear it after this but we will speak to you next week this is the We Are Going Up podcast we've got the Football League covered I want to win this game Come on, Deanie, look, move, get on, get on your toes, provide them with something to think about. Like that, oh, oh, Fabrini, get up, Fabrini. We haven't got time for your nonsense. Good, good. Oh, yeah. Get in the goal, oh, it's off the post. Oh. Oh. It's off the post. Another one off the post. Keep going. Lads, lads, no, no. Oh, Almunia, what a save. Fantastic. Oh, I like that. Just slip it back inside. This is it. This is it. He's done him. He's taken it. What's he? Come it's... on. Penalty. Ref. Penalty. Oh, come on. Come on. Never uh, a pen. Never a, a pen. pen. Never it a pen. It would have been a pen, wouldn't it, if the defender had fouled him like he was supposed to? Uh, is it dive? Yeah, it is, isn't it, really? <laughs> come on, lads. Oh, I can't believe this. Oh, no. No. It's fine. It's all fine. It's not all fine, though, is it? Because we need to win these games 
We were winning these games. Come, we smashed them last season at their place. We still don't have anyone like Vidra last season who can run into space quickly. We do, I suppose. Anya, he's a winger. He's on the bloody bench. Get, get no. Oh, just get the ball in the box. Still got it. Get in the mixer. He's beat him. Shoot. Oh. I suppose a point away at Brighton's not that bad. <laughs> a minute ago. <laughs> it's all over. It's a disgrace. That's lunch. We scored two goals there. Next. Is that the end? <laughs> I think that's the end, everyone.